It's encouraging, isn't it, that God wants to welcome us. I really believe that was the word of the Lord uh, into his arms. We're not measured up um, and found to be failing uh, in his presence. Um, So this morning I want to continue our series in the church, uh, on the church. Uh, For those of you that are visitors or are new here, um, we've been doing a series in the church about uh, what God's purposes and plans for are in the church. And so um, I just want to like sort of Uh, provide a kind of massive underline, I suppose, to everything I'm going to say this morning. This is really for people, this message is specifically aimed at people who are, who would consider themselves members of this church. Um, So if you're a visitor, uh, you might come and you might think, oh, is this what they talk about every week? The answer is no. We don't talk about this every week. Um, But it's just part of our series. And one of the things about being a Bible-believing church is that we preach the truth, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even when the truth is uncomfortable or the truth may be a bit unpleasant. Um, and so this morning I want to talk about the subject of what happens when church goes wrong. What happens when stuff goes wrong in church? All right, so let's just pray, shall we? And I'm going to ask God to come and be with me particularly as I speak on this subject. Because for some of us, this will be a deeply personal subject because it will feel very real. Yeah? So let's pray, shall we? Lord... <coughs> Thank you that the church is your idea. Lord, and when we get to heaven, as we've been talking about in this series, Lord, what will be in the final day is the church. And it will be perfect and it will be beautiful and it's your bride and you love the church. But equally we recognise, Lord, there are times when we mess it up uh, and when things go wrong in church and, and when it goes wrong it can be bad. And I pray that as we look at this really sensitive subject this morning, I pray that you would give me wisdom and sensitivity to handle your word with care uh, and to just bring the truth out of this. And we pray that if there are those people this morning that are here or listening to this message that are struggling with, Lord, hurt in their own heart over things that may have happened in the church, I pray this morning that you would bring release and that you would bring freedom and that you would bring healing, Lord, where, Lord, there needs to be healing and release. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So... Uh, if you've been in church for any period of time, you'll realise that basically it goes wrong. Stuff goes wrong in the church. It just does. People make mistakes. Uh, people say hurtful things. They do hurtful things. Why? Because whether we like it or not, we're all sinful, broken people. And what do sinful, broken people do? Uh, they do sinful, broken things. All right? And so even though we try really hard and we work together and we, we love one another, there are times when it goes wrong. Uh, and sometimes it can go badly wrong. It's interesting that when you look at the, te- the, the letters in the New Testament, so if you read the letters in the New Testament, virtually all of them are written because there's a problem. Or they're written addressing a problem. Right? So if it's the Galatians, the Galatians were too legalistic. Right, so they got into legalism. The Colossians, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, had been dealing with heresy. Uh, 2 Timothy was issues around succession. Uh, Philippians was about dealing with selfish ambition. Uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians solve, solve a whole host of problems uh, centred around issues around pride and gifting uh, and immorality. Uh, and then if you were to read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you'd realise that there are churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 that have problems. And so when we read the New Testament, Paul is writing in a context of the fact that the churches make mistakes and stuff goes wrong. And actually, therefore, the mark 
of how we deal with stuff when it goes wrong is the mark of a healthy church. I can promise you this. If you are in this church for any period of time, I can guarantee you this. Someone's going to do something to hurt you. And there's a good chance it'll be me. (laughs) No, there's a good chance, isn't there, that someone's going to do something and it's going to be, yeah, that's just called the church. But how we respond to that, how we react to that, how we deal with that is the mark of whether or not we're going on in the Lord, whether we're growing up and we're mature. Amen? Um, I've lost my drink. Where's it gone? Where did I put it? Oh, did Pat steal it? Oh, did I not take it? I thought I brought it with me. Now, there are two major areas I want to focus on this morning in terms of where things go wrong in the church. The first is sin. When sin comes into the church, when people doing things who call themselves Christians and are part of the church and they are doing things and behaving in ways which are contrary to what the Bible says. That's the first area that I want to deal with. The second area, which is probably more common and probably the one we've experienced more of, is when we get offended. And people do things that hurt us or say things that hurt us or just behave and have attitudes that hurt us. And so I'm going to look at those two things. But before uh, I deal with those things, it's really important to sort of set some building blocks uh, or a foundation to the way in which we have to deal with difficult situations in church life. And the first is this, that we are a family. Whether Lauren likes it or not, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are not a business. We are not a club, right? We are a family. And the thing about families is they're committed to each other, right? Whether if my, Peter, for those of you who don't know, Peter's my father-in-law, he's here visiting. Uh, Ruth, uh, my mother-in-law, is visiting uh, the church of my sister-in-law and they're up in London at her church this, this morning. So um, if you're wondering where Ruth was, um, she's, she's not just disappeared. She's uh, just at another church this morning with, with uh, my sister-in-law. But whether I like it or not, Peter is stuck with me, right? Okay, he might want to get rid of me, right? He might have had words when we were getting engaged to his daughter, you sure you really want to marry this man, right? But now we're committed, right? He is committed to me and I'm committed to him, right? Because we're family. And that's what family means, is it's a loving relationship of commitment. And so that's different. When stuff goes wrong and you're not in family, you can be like, do you know what, I can just walk away from this. But when we're family, we don't have that option. We have to say, I'm committed to you, I love you, I want what's best for you, and I'm in it for the long haul. And so that's the foundation, but the other foundations are this, love. So everything we do should be based and built on love, real love. I'm not talking about icky, kind of sickly, romantic comedy type love, which I do enjoy a good romantic comedy, as many of you know, right? I'm talking about Bible love, right? Real Bible love. Bible love that finds itself in 1 Corinthians saying, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. I'm still dealing with that one in my own life. Um, It's not irritable, and that one, uh, (coughs) or resentful. Uh, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When we are dealing with problems in the church, we start as family and we act in love. Don't we? Amen? If we behave in this way, we will be able to deal with difficult situations as and when they arise, won't we? But this is the other thing that we need to realise, is that we need to operate from a position of humility. 
James, it says in James, God opposes the who? God opposes the proud. So when we are proud, God is against us. We say, oh, God is for us. He is 100% for us, except when we're proud. And it says, who does he elevate? Who does he lift up? The humble. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, you know, my experience of dealing with problems in church life, and, and my role is, uh, as the kind of head of our network, MLG network, is I spend a lot of time more and more dealing with problems, uh, travelling around and helping people sort of talk through their problems and issues in church life. And you know the biggest thing I find that's the issue, the root cause? What do you think it is? Pride. Pride, Right? Basically, people feel like uh, they're trying to protect a position or they're offended because somehow their pride, their ego has been damaged or when they've told that something's, they've done something wrong, they react and try and defend themselves. And the biggest issue we have in church life is pride. And I'm going to put my hand up. I struggle with it just as much as everybody else does, right? But we have to come with an attitude of humility. And if we approach any challenges we have, we approach sin in the church or offence in the church, we're saying we're a family, I love you and I'm willing to be humble and prepared to listen and allow you to challenge me, then I believe we can resolve it. If we don't have these things, it'll be hard, it'll be difficult, people will be hurt, people will be upset. But I honestly believe if we approach things like this, we can see God resolve really challenging situations in church life. So my next question is this, why does dealing with problems in the church matter. Surely we should just love one another and by love one another we mean just sweep it all under the carpet and just pretend that there's no problem and we haven't got to challenge someone when they do something that's sinful or if someone offends someone we've just got to like just be really quiet and just sort of suck it up and just you know why does this matter? Why should we actually be prepared to face up and deal with problems in church life? Samson's on it again. <clears throat> Samson, I much prefer it when you're giving me answers to questions than falling asleep. Um, <clears throat> that's how Samson avoids falling asleep, is by replying to my answers. The first reason is this, right? Is that it is about the reputation of, of God. What the church being a healthy, pure, righteous, happy, healthy family speaks about who? God. If Jesus is trying to present a bride, which is the church, for himself, which is going to be pure and spotless, it matters that we are invested in resolving and dealing with difficult situations, doesn't it? If we say, oh, it doesn't matter if that person's behaving in a terrible fashion, we, just, we, don't, we want to be nice to them, so we're going to leave them to do their thing over there in the corner. What we're really saying is, Jesus, holiness and purity for your church is not that important. And it is. We talked about it, didn't we, in, that first, in my first talk on the, the church as the bride of Christ. It really, really matters. The reputation of God matters. It also, the, rep, the reason we have to be uh, setting about to focus on dealing with problems is that if we don't, when the world looks at the church, what does it see? When the world looks at the church... And it sees the church doing exactly the same thing that everybody else in the world does. Or the church falling out and arguing with each other and the church being bitter and angry with each other. What, is the, what does the world say? Why, do, why should I care about the church? 
Why should I care about Jesus? Why should I care about God? We are the living representation. We are his body, isn't it? That's what it says. We are his body. And so if we're wandering around and we are full of sin and full of bitterness and full of offence and we don't deal with those things, we are a bad representative of Jesus. So we have to deal with problems. It's a matter of God's reputation, okay? Also, the other reason that we need to deal with problems in the church, and I, I've, uh, I've put some Bible verses there if you want to check what I'm saying is, is biblical, because it is, um, is that we need to protect the church. Anyone ever had a rotten orange in their pack of oranges? What happens to all the other oranges? They all go rotten, don't they? Right? If we leave sin in the church or offence in the church or bitterness in the church undealt with, what happens to the rest of the church? It becomes bitter and sinful and, and it will spread. And so if we are not willing to deal with problems in the church, it will just go on to the next person, the next person. And I'll be honest, I have been uh, involved in churches uh, where I have seen bitterness and hurt and anger begin to spread. And it just, it's amazing. It starts with one person, doesn't it? Anyone else? Just me, right? You start with one person and it spreads to the next person. They talk to someone else and they talk to someone else and they talk to someone else. Then there's a whole little group of people that are unhappy with the pastor or they're unhappy with this person or with what's happening about this. And rather than fronting up and dealing with the problem, it just grows and grows. So we have to deal with it in order to protect the church. But most of all, and this is really important, and it comes back to my point about love, our aim in dealing with problems is always about the restoration of the individual. My heart for you, if you are a member of the church that, that I'm the lead elder of here, is that you would be healthy in the Lord and you would grow up into maturity in Christ. And if I allow you to carry on doing whatever you think is right as according to your world, not against the Bible, and I can allow you to carry on and just uh, offend people here and offend people there and behave badly there, what I'm really doing is I'm not doing you a good service as someone who loves you, am I? I, how many, those, I mean, those of us have got kids, right? Kids behave badly, don't they? Right, let's be honest. Kids behave badly, right? This week alone, Peter and Ruth have been with us this week and they've experienced uh, my three boys regularly, daily fighting about goodness knows what, but mainly about the Xbox, right? That is the source of all conflict in my house. I really want to take a sledgehammer and smash it. Has anyone seen those YouTube videos where like, that dad comes in and like, rips the kid's PlayStation out and smashes it with a hammer and the kid goes crazy? Yeah, I kind of, there's days when I'm tempted to do that. Right? But my children can be really unkind to each other at times. They can really wind each other up. And what happens if I don't deal with that and I let them behave in that fashion, are they ever going to grow up? No. They're going to think that's normal. Exactly. So it's important. It's of vital importance that we deal with problems in the church when stuff goes wrong. Do you understand why I'm talking about this now? And why I think it's really important that as a church we have a good understanding of how to deal with problems and as and when they arise. So, let's look at the two problems that I mentioned. The first we're going to talk about is sin, okay? When sin comes into the church. Okay, and I'd like us to read uh, this together. Um, I've put it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 13. 
And Paul is writing to the Corinthians who have been doing all kinds of uh, not, not very good immoral things. And he says this to them. I wrote you in my epistle, that's the word, another word for letter, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. These are the kind of passages in the Bible that we don't like to talk about. And we don't like to look at because they are speaking hard truths that maybe, particularly as a church leader, I find a little bit uncomfortable, right? But what is Paul saying here? First of all, he's saying, when you are talking about sin in the church, I'm interested in the members of people that call themselves part of my family in the church, right? So he says, a brother, and I'm going to add the word sister. So if you look here, it says... I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, right? Do you not judge those who are inside? So what he's talking about is not people that are doing this, that and that, etc. outside the church. He's saying if there is sin inside the church, you need to deal with it, right? This is really important because sometimes we can get very upset about all the things that are happening in the world around us and this and that and the other. And what Paul's saying is don't worry about that, right? That's my next point. God judges people in the world, but we, Paul says in somewhere else in the Bible, in Corinthians, do you not know that we judge the church, right? And this is quite powerful stuff when you think about the fact that we have been given the responsibility to judge that which is right and wrong according to the Bible inside the church. So he's saying here, God judges the world. Oh, where are we? Oh, come back. Uh, yeah, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside but outside, God judges. Do you see? Yeah, right? What he's saying is, is that as a church, we have a responsibility for dealing with problems in our own house. But stuff that happens outside, that's God's problem. Yeah? But we do have a responsibility to deal with sin in our own house. What is he saying, right, that we need to deal with? So he's saying there are certain lifestyles that, that are unacceptable if you want to consider yourself an active member of the church. That's really important to understand. I am a sinful person who is redeemed by Christ's love. Amen? I make mistakes. Ask my wife, right? She was telling me last night what I had done wrong, okay? I am a sinful person who makes mistakes. He is not talking about people in the church that make a mistake or do the thing wrong here or there. He's talking about people that choose to try and say, I am a Christian, I am part of the church, but I am living a lifestyle which is completely different to that which God has said is acceptable in the Bible. And so he says, it's sexually immoral. So if you are conducting adultery or if you're sex before marriage, Covetous means it's someone who is basically wanting things all the time that they cannot have, uh, which of course covetous leads to stealing, it leads to fraud, it leads to uh, adultery, jealousy. Covetousness is, is a, a source of all kinds of other, other bad choices. 
Idol worship. So if we were worshipping other gods, so if you said, I'm a, I, I want to be a member of this church, but I've got a, a little Buddha in my house, um, and I am willing to let that be in my house, and I you know, like to kind of give incense to, to my Buddha at the same time, and you said, but I want to be a Christian, I'm afraid that's not acceptable, right? That's not what Paul is saying is acceptable. Um, a reviler, this is a challenge, right? Someone who is critical of other people. You, have, you know, I don't know if you've ever met them. They generally write in the tabloids, I think. Um, and basically, their whole objective and aim in life is to criticise other people. If you have a lifestyle that goes around criticising and having a go at everyone and dragging everyone else down, that's not an acceptable way to behave if you want to call yourself a member of the church. How about this? Heavy drinker, right? So it says the phrase he uses is drunkard. If you are a drunkard, right, and you are a heavy drinker, right, then you are not, uh, we, there, there is sin that cannot, is not compatible with an ongoing life within the family of the church, okay, as we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, and the last one is extortioner, which is another word for blackmailer. Hopefully no one here is conducting blackmail. Um, if you are, see me afterwards. We'll pray together, yeah? Um, <clears throat> so you can see it here in the text. Now, What Paul is saying is that it's not that if we make a mistake, but if we are choosing to live a lifestyle that is in, is in complete opposite to what God has said is right and acceptable, you cannot be a part of the church communion. And I'm going to come on and talk about what that means in a minute. And I'm going to talk about how we deal with this as we go forward. But so sin is the first issue. The second issue is offence, Right? So sin is one way that, that, that uh, the church can uh, be not right. The other is offence. And let's be honest, we've all taken offence. If you've been in the church for more than about five minutes, right, okay, you have probably taken offence at something that's happened within the church. Okay? And I think that ha- offence happens for three reasons. Right, primarily. The first, oh, I've added jealousy on there. Ignore that one, right, okay. If you're feeling jealous, you need to deal with that before the Lord. Um, the first is feeling undervalued. Many people I know have felt really undervalued by the church. Um, I have uh, sat and listened to people who have told me stories about how they served God in the Sunday school for five years, every week, and at the end of it, when they said it's time to finish, not a word of thanks. No one said thank you. No one said, brilliant, what an amazing job you've done. It was like, and whoever's taken on. And they just felt undervalued. I've met other people who feel that they've got a ministry. They want to preach or they, they want to be able to do things in the church and they're not allowed. And they don't feel valued. And they don't feel accepted. And, and they feel like, you know, and, and this causes all kinds of hurt within the church. We can feel really undervalued. The second thing we can feel is unloved. I remember um, sitting with someone and they were telling me of their, cha- their really challenging circumstances and their situations, things had gone wrong in their life with their son uh, and their husband and things that had just been terrible and nobody from the church had visited and nobody had paid an interest and nobody had, had really shown any sense of care or love. Sometimes that's what the church can be like, so focused on activity that it misses the heart of the people that really love and need the care. 
And so often people can feel, and it's sad, but people can feel lonely in church. How about that? People can feel lonely in church. They can feel isolated. They can feel like they come every week and no one really knows them. And they don't feel loved. And no one takes an interest in them. No one ever invites them around for dinner. No one ever invites them out for a coffee or checks up how they're doing. They miss three weeks and no one's bothered to even send a message. So you leave a church or you feel you're in a church feeling unloved. And the last reason, and I think this is, uh, again, often very common, people feel mistreated. When they've done, someone's done something to you, they've said something to you, they've criticised you, they've attacked you, they've done things, they've, they've, you were doing a ministry and you were doing it faithfully and they just came and they ripped it away. And they said, no, we don't want you to do that anymore. And you just feel like, what, well, after all this time, I've been left. And thanks. There are lots of people that feel very hurt because they have been mistreated, they feel unloved, they feel undervalued in church. And you know what? The difficulty is, is that so often we, are, we feel justified, don't we, in our hurt. We feel like, you know what? I am right to feel that way. I was genuinely mistreated. I asked lots of people and they all agreed with me that I was mistreated. Hurt people act in self-protecting ways. So when we're hurt, we then go and find other people who are also hurt. And we say, oh, do you not realise how hurt I've been mistreated? And they say, yes, you have been mistreated. And it just becomes a problem. And it becomes bitterness. And it becomes upset and anger. And this is what happens so often. This has been my true experience of church life consistently. And I do not want it to be a mark of this church. Is that people hide behind weak excuses in failing to deal with the problem. And so rather than, as we're going to see in a minute, when we know how to deal with this problem, rather than facing up to the problem and dealing with it, they just bury it. And they gossip about it, or they complain about it. Or the truth is, what often happens, they don't do anything about it, but it just sits like this great big wound in their side for years. And they're never able to really participate fully in church life because they've been hurt, and their attitude is, I've been hurt, I'm going to keep the church arm's length, and I'm not going to get hurt again. And that's not the way that the Lord wants us to deal with problems when things go wrong. Because stuff does go wrong and we will get hurt and we will be mistreated at times and we will be undervalued. Because we are, Joe, you know, I've realised more and more, we are, it's terrible. If there's not a real sense of closure, we can be left just struggling for so many years. Do you know what I mean by that? That need for closure. That need for feeling like, and the Bible's word for it, I believe, is reconciliation. When there's reconciliation, you can heal and you can move on. When something's just left, it's so hard to move on because you don't feel like you've really kind of dealt with the problem. And I know that's what that's like in my life. I, I, one of my, my strengths, if I can be so bold, um, is that I find uh, being out of relationship with people almost unbearable. So if I know I've upset you, Lauren, right? Okay, well indeed, yes, right? I find it really difficult and so I can't, I have like an inability really to like bury it. So I will have to go and talk to someone and try and come to a position of resolution because I cannot go on. But I know that that's not the case for everybody. And you see, if there is sin like we talked about previously or if there is a fence that's undealt with, it will damage the church. It damages the reputation of the church. It damages the witness of the church. It damages the actual church itself. And then most of all, who does it damage? us 
And so it's so important that we deal with it. So this is the question. How does the Bible instruct that we should deal with these kind of problems? How do we face up to stuff when it goes wrong? And I want us to read the scripture from Matthew chapter 18. And it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the Bible doesn't say, right, if you've got problems in the church, let's all just be really nice about it and pretend that it doesn't exist. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you've got a problem, you've got to go and deal with it. Right? And so many churches, so many people I talk to, they say things like, oh, this person's really hurt me, but I wouldn't want to say anything to them because I wouldn't want to hurt them. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says if there's a problem, we need to deal with it. Right? Now, how do we deal with it? The first thing we have to do is we have to pray about it. Let's work our way through this, right? Personal prayer. And I want to be really clear, right? There are lots of times when people say things to you or do things to you and it's just time. You just have to let it go, right? Okay. I walked in this morning and, uh, and I asked for a custard cream and he gave me a bourbon instead. <laughs> I'm going to go and talk to that person and tell them how much they've hurt me. Get over yourself, right? Okay. I, I know there are lots of times in church life where people have spoken to me rudely or crossly. Right? And I have to, and I often ask, and I feel very offended, and I feel very upset, and I'm like, I can't believe that person's spoken to me in that way. This is so rude. Do they not know who I am? And I have to sit there, and I have to ask myself the question Are they normally like that? No. Were they having a bad day? Very possibly. Right? Had I done something that had wound them up in that moment, or they'd had a massive argument with someone before they walked in the door, and I happened to be there at that moment, and the answer might well be yes. And so often, nine times out of ten, I just bring it before the Lord and I just let it go. Yeah? Right? And I just say, do you know what? It's a little thing. It's not a big deal. I, don't, I can deal with that before God. But if somebody were to seriously sin against me, they were maybe to make an accusation against me or they were to consistently be rude to me or they just, they, they, I feel like they really undervalued me or they hadn't appreciated something I'd done and it really hurt and I really felt then what I need to do is I need to go and speak to that person. If you come to me as the, church, as the church pastor and say to me, Tim, I've got a problem with Jeff, right? Okay, Jeff is just so rude. You can't believe how rude Jeff is, right? Okay, right, easy hands, right? Okay, let's not air it, yeah, right? My answer to you will be, what do you think my answer is going to be to you? Hey? Well, if it's real, if it's a real issue, what's my answer going to be to you? Biblically, what should my answer be to you? Go and speak to him. If you've got a problem with Jeff, I don't think anyone does, by the way, Jeff, just to be clear. All right, okay. Um, right, if you've got a problem, you need to go and speak to him. And so many of church life issues are blown out of proportion and go way beyond they should do because two people haven't sat down and had an open and honest conversation. And I want to challenge us. We need to be a church that's willing to have difficult conversations with each other rather than just sweep it under the rug. What does it say? I love this. It says, if he listens to you or she, you have gained yourself 
a what? A brother. When, when I, I remember a story, and um, you, many of you will know who I'm talking about. Um, uh, it was somebody in Eltham, she used to drum in the church, and I was worship leading at the time. Uh, and, uh, and, and I... Uh, I, basically, I'm sure I, I wound her up. I, can't, I cannot remember the specifics, but I, I really wound her up, and I think I consistently wound her up, because I, I, if you think I'm challenging now, right, imagine what I was like sort of seven, eight years ago, right, okay? All right, I was way more difficult then, right? And I'd upset her. I think I'd been insensitive, and I hadn't probably sent the rotor in time, and I'd, I'd done things that were... were in, and, and, so, and I knew that it wasn't right, and so I sat down, and I said, I said, well, can we down and have a chat about this and so and we sat down and I said I just want to apologize I think I've upset you please tell me what I've done uh, and then she told me all the things that I had done um, <clears throat> for which for which I then apologized and you know what after that day my relationship with her has been dead strong I consider that her, my relationship with that with that lady is strong and I feel like she honors me and she trusts me. I feel like she's open to me. Why? Because we had a conversation, we had it out, we had it real, and I gained myself a sister. And you want to have good relationships, deep relationships in the church. You have to face up to problems. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't just say, oh, you know, just sweep it under the carpet and just be nice. It says deal with the problem. And this is what the church should be about. But what happens when the, uh, the person doesn't do uh, or doesn't respond the way that you want? What should we do then? Well, the Bible says, take someone else with you. If you've got a problem and you go to talk to someone and they say, no, I refuse to accept it, I'm not listening to you, I don't agree with what you've said, then I suggest that you come and you sit down. And, and I've been part of conversations where I've sat with others who have had problems, and they've talked, and actually being part of a third party in that conversation has been really helpful to resolving that. And nine times out of ten, if it doesn't solve it first time, it's almost certainly going to solve it second time. Yeah? But if someone said, no, 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 uh, and particularly, say for example, someone, um, uh, and I've, uh, I've, I've read of stories, thankfully it's never happened in the church, where uh, uh, say a man uh, was, was caught in adultery and someone went to him and challenged him uh, and he didn't respond and so they took someone with him and they didn't respond and eventually uh, they were choosing to live in a lifestyle that wasn't compatible with God and the Bible and so what did they say? The church said, well, in which case then we've got to tell the church. Right? Now, I would say that in my entire time, and Peter may, Peter's been in church leadership a lot, lot longer than I have, um, but I don't, I've never had to do this, praise the Lord, um, but it almost is like, it's like kind of the nuclear button, I guess, isn't it? Uh, you don't have to press it very often. You should never really have to press it, but it's there if it is needed. Because the witness of the church is so important to Jesus that allowing sin to continue is not acceptable. So if someone refuses to repent and refuses to change their ways, eventually it comes to a position where if they're unrepentant, they are no longer able to take communion, which is the mark of membership. How many of you have heard the word excommunication? Right? I seriously considered excommunicating Dion this morning when he walked in in his South Africa shirt. All right? I felt it was an issue that should be brought to the church. And the church all said, Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, yeah? But the word excommunication, it's a phrase that's been bandied around through the years about the way to deal. Do you know what excommunication really means? Not able to take communion. So, as I understand it, if someone were to eventually get to this position, what you would say is you are welcome to come to the church. 
You are welcome to come to the church, but you cannot take communion because communion is the mark of a commitment to following after Christ, to choosing to eat of his death and to drink of his life. Yeah? Amen? And so if we are failing to do that, this is the ultimate uh, kind of sort of nuclear option, as it were. And praise the Lord, I've never had to do it. But I want us to be aware, right, of what church discipline is in the context of this church. All right, and why it's so important, okay? Um, and so hopefully, and again, the aim of, of any form of church, you reread these scriptures, and I haven't really got time to, to go into it, but the aim of any kind of excommunication is, is that that person would be restored into the church. By being out of the church, they would realise, whoa, this is serious, I need to get right with God, I've got to come back. And the aim of, of excommunication is always the restoration, the restoring of that person into the family. It's not like you've made a mistake, you're out, you're not allowed back in. It's, a, we, it's the last thing. We do not want to have to put you out. If we have to put you out, we do it with the hope that you will come back. Do you understand? It's really different. Okay? So, to, to finish then, all right, I want us as a church to create a culture of truth. I think that marks a church that can challenge sin and deal with offence biblically is a healthy church. Honestly, I believe that. And if we want to be a healthy church, we have to deal with things biblically. And you may find at times that you're in uncomfortable conversations, but let me tell you, that means you're part of a healthy church. If everyone lets you do whatever you want in your family, right, and behave however you like, is that the kind of family that's going to be a very healthy family? No, right? A family where we challenge one another, we say, you cannot, Reuben, just, you know, get up from the table and walk away when we're all eating every single time. It's not acceptable, right? I'm talking about my middle son, right, who has the trouble sitting in his seat, right? It is, by, by challenging one another, we create a healthy family. But these are the keys in order to create this culture. First of all, I'm going to put myself out there. If, you, if I have offended you, or if you think I'm doing something wrong, or you think my theology is bad, you are welcome to come and sit down with me and challenge me. And I, as a pastor, I am not just saying that to be nice at the front of a sermon. I'm telling you that because that's the truth. I am just as open to it as you are. If it's not coming from me, then it's not coming at all, right? So you, I, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not going to get it all right. Am I, Debbie? No. And when I do get it wrong, I'm just as open to receiving that challenge. But this is the key. We must believe that we're loved. If I have to go and tell Alan something, I hope that he knows that I love him more than anything else. Exactly. And so if I've got something that's, that Alan's not going to necessarily want to hear, he hopefully knows that I'm telling that because I love him. If that love isn't there, how, how, he's just going to think, well, who's this guy? He's just trying to kick me out of his club. So you must believe, and if that's why it's so important that we invest in loving one another as a family, because if there's not the love, the challenge is really difficult. Secondly, it's not about winning an argument, right? If, I, if Peter's got a problem with me, hopefully when he comes to talk to me, he's not coming to tell me that I'm wrong and he's right and at the end of it. It's an attitude that says it's not about trying to win an argument, it's about trying to be right. Thirdly, we need to recognise that challenging one another, it will be uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. And lastly, we have to choose to be vulnerable. When we choose to say, I'm open to receiving feedback, to receiving challenge, I believe this is the moment when the church is unveiled in all its glory.
Because the world looks at us and says, you, you, you love each other like that. You do stuff and that person did that and you had a conversation, you really dealt with it and you, you got over it and now you're, you're like deeper, even, your relationship is even deeper. What is this? What is this? This is nothing like I find anywhere in the world. This, my friends, is the church at its finest. And so I want us to uh, finish this morning by having communion. I've finished bang on half past. All right, sorry. Um, but we'll just have a bit, we'll take communion if that's all right. And I want to just encourage you this morning, if you know that you have got something in your heart before somebody... Um, where's it gone? It's gone, Joel. Um, there's a verse, uh, I think I've 